Welcome to episode 52 of Contested Catch. We're here for our week six preview, looking ahead to this weekend and all that that entails. Uh, welcome back, everyone. We're wrapping up a big week here at Contested Catch. In case you missed it, uh, Contested Catch episode 50 came out on Wednesday. Me and Jeff taking a look back at uh, week five, Jeff and I, I should say. Um, options under waiver wire and fantasy football storylines. Episode 51 went out last night. That's Thursday night. Um, our week six buys and sells with Kyle Singer. Make sure to check that out as well. We had a lot of good conversation there, including uh, talking about the updated situation in Kansas City. Um, and if you haven't already, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Contested Catch-Up. That goes out each Thursday. I've had a lot of people recently ask me for my stance on, I don't know, maybe the, the Le'Veon Bell situation in Kansas City or uh, in weeks prior, Darrell Henderson in the, the Rams' backfield. Anyway, I cover a lot of what's going on in the league each week, um, You know, talking about what's out there on Twitter, talking about the Thursday night game, talking about DFS. All of that uh, is covered on the Contessa Catch-Up, so make sure to check that out because you get a lot of really good information in your inbox every Thursday. All right, Jeff, let's get into it, man. How are you doing on this beautiful Friday morning? Well, it's, it's actually been raining all morning, so not too beautiful down in D.C., but I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, so you were back in D.C. I am still up north uh, in western New York, wrapping up my time here. Um, but yeah, you know, unfortunately it is raining here as well, Jeff. Um, but it's the weekend, baby. We're almost there. Let us, uh, kick it off by not talking about Thursday night football takeaways because we didn't have one, but we'll start with a big fantasy football storyline having to do with one of the teams that was supposed to play on Thursday. And that is of course the Kansas city chiefs signing Le'Veon Bell to a one-year contract. Uh, as I already alluded to, we covered this a little bit in the contested catch-up, at least my uh, perspective on things, so check that out. Um, but Jeff, you know, we also talked about this on Wednesday, him being released and the possibility and the probability that we should be resetting his fantasy stock. Um, you made a case that there is still something left in the tank. Obviously, this is probably the most ideal landing spot we could have asked for for him. You just made a big trade in our very competitive home league to acquire Le'Veon Bell, really putting your money where your mouth is. So what is your updated stance on Le'Veon Bell and this Kansas City Chiefs backfield that obviously also includes Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Sure. So first, due to the uh, COVID protocols, my understanding is Bell won't even be able to show up to the facilities until Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, which isn't ideal because it does slow down his acclimation a little bit. Not that I was expecting anything out of him um, this Monday against the Bills, but if he could have gotten in the building today, started practicing, and then you know start being closer to up to speed by week seven, and then hopefully be startable in week eight, that would have been or potentially startable in week eight is would have been preferential. Now it looks like he's not going to be even in the building until Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. You know, slows down the timeline a little bit. But from my perspective on this trade, uh, you know, should probably tell people what it is, is that I sent Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown in return for Cam Newton and Bell. So the reason I did this is, first, I mean, as good as Lamar was at fantasy last year, we have not seen that this year. Do I think he will improve and still finish top six? Yeah, most likely. But, I mean, Cam has also been fantastic. And I think the stat we heard in the offseason was every single time Cam's played 16-game season, he's finished as a top-five QB. Um, and we've seen nothing this year that was 
that would lead us to doubt that he finishes as highly otherwise. So the way I look at it is Lamar for Cam is basically a lateral move and could easily actually end up being an upgrade. Um, so then the Hollywood for Bell. Um, so my team is in good shape of wide receiver. I have DK Metcalf as my wide receiver one, Devontae Parker, DJ Moore, Hollywood Brown, and LaVisca Chanel. Well, I had Hollywood, obviously. So Hollywood to me was really just kind of my wide receiver four. Yeah, there were a bunch of kind of, um, you know, those buy low type of signals that suggest he should be playing better. But I also just never really saw outside of a bye week uh, fill in where I'm really just going to be plugging into my lineup week in and week out. So if that's going, if that's the case from a wide receiver position, but then my running back situation right now is a little bit weak. There's a lot of potential with some young players like Swift or Akers or an injury like Austin Eckler. I really just needed to get that, take a shot at that upside for running back if I wanted to have a chance at you know a championship roster because my team's five and zero right now, so I'm in really good position to make the playoffs. But you know, if you ain't first, you're last. No one remembers second place. So getting a player like Bell in the hope that he becomes the RB one in Kansas City down the stretch was just um, is a move to try and get that league winning upside. I definitely agree that the quarterback swap is a lateral move. I think right now we're seeing Cam play above what people expected. I was very aggressive in ranking Cam. I had him uh, as my QB nine when most people had him outside the top 10. Um, More, you know, the more aggressive that I saw was around like 11. um, And I saw many people with him outside the top 12. So I'm on board with the Cam Newton for Lamar Jackson part of this. I really think that the fulcrum of this trade is obviously does Le'Veon Bell carve out a sizable role in this Kansas City backfield. If he doesn't, I think we're about to see Marquise Hollywood Brown uh, really erupt. I think that this Baltimore offense, we talked about it on the buys and sells episode. Um, so I like I like a lot of parts of this trade, and I just think that there's a lot of uncertainty. We just don't know what's going to happen with Bell yet. But like you said, you're playing for the uh, range of outcomes that has league-winning upside based on the value you just paid for him. So I do not think that you blew it, Jeff. Um, you know, it's just we can't. We can't judge until we know what happens, basically. Um, but yeah, so you know, this is a really, really interesting situation now. Obviously, a lot of people were uh, checking in on my on my mental health after Le'Veon Bell signed because I'm a pretty big Clyde Edwards Elaire supporter in fantasy this year. Um, and Jeff, you and I talked offline about kind of clarifying where that comes from. And it's basically a fantasy football take. I think there is talent there, but it's really just the the combination of expected volume and the situation and how they were going to use him. But uh, Darrell Williams has seen just about a quarter of the snaps through the first five weeks and 65% of the other of the uh, total snaps have gone to Clyde. So I think CEH is still going to have a sizable role. And, you know, people projecting that Le'Veon Bell is going to come in and take over. Look, there's some conflicting uh, perspectives on Bell's how much juice he has left in the tank. One camp says, well, we've seen plenty of players leave Adam Gase and show up and be like, hey, that player's actually still good or was good all along, and we just couldn't see it because of Adam Gase suppressing him. Um, and the other thing is, Jeff, you, you pointed to your research, which is up on ContestedCatch.com, about expected yards at handoff and a couple other uh, ways to look at running backs and their carries. Um, Le'Veon Bell did really well in those metrics and, and showed that he was actually outperforming what his offensive line was doing for him. 
Um, so those bode, bode well for him. We also know that he was a former great player, and before he took a year off and then went to the Jets, he was uh, an all-pro. Um, on the other side of the foot, Le'Veon Bell has not looked explosive, and he has been given every opportunity to do that. And already this year, he was on IR. Now it's shortened IR, but still, he was on IR with a hamstring injury, which we know has re-injury risk all season long. So to me, he's brought in on a one-year contract, so basically a rental. Um, there is a thought that maybe the Chiefs were saying, oh, you know, we'll sign him and maybe we'll use him because he's probably an upgrade on Darrell Williams. Um, and if he goes and signs a good contract elsewhere, we'll maybe get a a comp pick um, or a uh, you know a, an extra draft pick in the in the following year. So there are a lot of reasons that the Chiefs might have decided to make this move if they had the the ability to, uh, which they did. So with that said, Jeff, I think that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is still a good player to have. Uh, I sent trades for him in every league that I didn't have him in, which wasn't a lot, but I, I've sent trades for him. And the reason is, I think the lower end of what is possible, what is probable with this scenario is that Clyde turns into an Austin Eckler type and Melvin and uh, Le'Veon Bell is then, of course, a Melvin Gordon type, um, referencing that dynamic duo in, in the Chargers a couple of years ago. Um, so any final thoughts on this backfield, Jeff? Bell would be the receiving back and Edwards Hilaire would be the grind back. So wouldn't that make him Melvin Gordon? and Bell, Austin Eckler? I, I don't think that Bell would be the receiving back there. I think, if anything, it would be pretty evenly split. And Melvin Gordon got a lot of targets CEH himself. CEH is already like not, um, not the third down passing game back. I mean, that's been going to yeah, Williams. Yeah, third down, um, obvious passing scripts. Unfortunately, it has been Darrell Williams so far. Like two-minute drill, that's been Darrell Williams. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire has seen... Uh, Eight, six, three, and eight targets the last four weeks. It's not like he's not a factor in the passing game. If he's not playing that exact role, the good news is that Kansas City is aggressive enough in passing the ball already that that is uh, supplemented by him getting a uh, consistent passing role outside of third downs. So I would still expect Clyde Ritzelaire to get a lot of targets. And if Le'Veon Bell does come in and step into that Darrell Williams-sized role, which is about a quarter of the snaps early on the season, um, I think that he is likely to get targets as well. It's going to be it's going to be a really interesting one, man. This is a very pivotal uh, moment. I think Le'Veon Bell was a pretty terrible draft pick in the third round or fourth round. Um, we talked about it early in the summer about you know who I would take over him, and kind of like Leonard Fournette, his drafters were maybe bailed out here. Um, we'll see. Jeff, let's move on now to some other notable updates, and we're going to start Julio Jones, another guy who's been banged up for a while now. Uh, obviously, that hamstring injury, he did not practice on Thursday. Now, Atlanta was not allowed in their facility, so this was an estimation by the team. But that almost makes it worse because he, he didn't even have it. Like They were just like, there's no chance that he plays because he has not been feeling right. So, Jeff, Julio Jones' hamstring injury continues to hold him out. Uh, he was apparently a game-time decision last weekend, week five. I don't know that I feel that good about him in week six, even if he does suit up. Obviously, in season long, you probably have to play him, as we've said all, all season long. Um, however, in DFS, I think it's a trap, man. I really do. Um, maybe you capture some of that upside, but the the chances for him to tweak it again in game just feel pretty high. So, you know, any updated thoughts on the Julio Jones situation? Um, I'd be very concerned if I was a Julio owner. Um, um, I think, you know, like, 
the Packers with Devontae Adams kind of as frustrating as it might have been after drafting him in the first round. The way they handled it was better for his season-long outlook, just getting it back to 100%, um, not playing him back in week four. So he had week four off the week five bye, and now he should be 100% for week six with the Falcons and Julio Jones. Just keep trying to like push through it but not getting quite right. It's almost prolonging it. Um, so, yeah, I would not be that comfortable if I were a Julio owner. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, something I actually, it was the fan question of the week submitted by my friend Jack um, that I, I talked about this on the Contested Catch-Up, but obviously Atlanta fired their head coach, Dan Quinn, and their GM, Dimitriov, um, that this past week. Is the possibility of a Julio Jones, a Matt Ryan-involved trade on your radar at all in 2020, Jeff? Because I talked about it, and I basically said um that the trade deadline's coming up in about two and a half weeks um i don't think matt ryan really makes sense this year uh, you know to do it during the season but julio if there was one i think julio jones would make sense so is there a chance that maybe they're holding him out trying to get him healthy so that he is able to pass a physical and get traded i mean he's only getting older he's only getting more expensive and calvin Ridley's looks like an alpha so it's just something that i kind of chewed on and i'm interested to see your perspective on it I do think it's possible. Um, you know, Julio's 31, but he signed through 2023. So if anybody were to trade for him, um, you know, I would see it being a title contender. Um, and even if you end up like, um, you know, he doesn't, he does kind of flame out after 20 ne- next season or something just due to health and age. You know, if he's if you're in a that short term title window, Julio's absolutely the type of player who can put you over the top. Atlanta is clearly in no position to be contending this season. You know, you go, you load up on some draft capital for the new regime to just kind of rebuild things from scratch. Um, you know, I, I don't disagree with Matt Ryan. He's unlikely to be traded midseason, but um I mean, for the off season and then going to be picking top, you know, five, top 10 and be in position to get one of the top three quarterbacks. Um, know where Julio should go is San Francisco and get reunited with Kyle Shanahan. That would be sexy. <laughs> now, it's really the question of then who's going to throw him the ball because it's been a QB carousel back there. But- um, please, Nathan Peterman throwing the ball to Julio Jones and George Kittle like. <laughs> would still look at like a league average quarterback <laughs> probably um yeah i basically i also said you know people thinking oh why wouldn't they trade matt ryan and julio jones if they're going to be in a rebuild and try to tank this is the thing we saw this last year with miami trading uh minka fitzpatrick a pretty so- good asset uh, still on his rookie contract to pittsburgh for a first round pick well at the time pittsburgh had already lost ben roethlisberger there there are two backups uh, you know, Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph did not look good. Pittsburgh looked destined for a top five pick. However, we were only a couple of games into the season. Uh, that turned that pop, probable top five pick turned into the 18th overall selection, I believe it was. Uh, at the very least, it was in the second half of the first round. So Miami, by making that trade midseason, sure, maybe they got a little bit more because the team could use them that year. But when in this scenario, it could easily backfire on the Falcons where they end up with later first round picks 
which are not what they need if they're really, really trying to rebuild and are willing to give up their two best players. So that's it on that situation. Um, moving on to Cleveland, Jeff, the wide receivers there are banged up. Jarvis Landry is hurt with hip and rib injuries. Now, a reminder, he had hip surgery in the offseason. So uh, that is not that surprising, although a little concerning that that is still giving him trouble because we were told that he was basically all good to go. Uh, he did not practice on Thursday. He looked a little banged up, even though he had a pretty decent game in week five. Um, then Odell Beckham Jr., OBJ, was sent home with an illness on Thursday. We're awaiting his test results. So there is a chance that OBJ... You know, we're not going to uh, uh, speculate, I guess, too, too much. But there's a chance when he's sent home from with an illness in this climate, you can kind of put two and two together that there's a chance that something else is there. Um, how are you approaching this uh, this team overall? Because obviously this will impact greatly uh, Baker Mayfield's outlook. It could impact Kareem Hunt's outlook and Austin Hooper's outlook, et cetera. So for Odell, first there's like um... – uh, policy this year that players are just not allowed to practice or be at the facilities with a fever. Um, you know, he had been getting tested all week and everything was negative. So I would say it's most likely not COVID and just another illness, which, um, you know, isn't good for this Sunday, but, um, you know, going forward, I don't think it's a concern. Um, you know, like, because last year there were some instances like Mike Evans, the first two weeks of the year was playing through illness and completely dudded out. Um, there was Tyler Lockett who was playing with the flu towards the end of the season after coming back from that, also like that leg injury and dudded out. So it is like, you know, a season long perspective, you know, maybe fire him up if, but I wouldn't put him like more as a flex play, just kind of knowing how the flu has impacted some players in the past. Um, and then, you know, Jarvis, like you said, it was something we were monitoring all year and a reason that we were felt like we were lower on him. Um, but, um, I don't know, injuries are just everywhere these days. So you kind of just have to make do with what you got for our DFS perspective, like it's kind of a fade. And then, you know, other than like Kareem Hunt, um, Baker has a little bit of a rib injury. doesn't sound too serious, but also with how much torque he has to put on the ball every throw, like something that could maybe even flare up here and there and cause like you know, a couple of throws to be just a little bit off, um, you know, in a game of inches, the throws, you know, two or three throws that miss the receiver could also be the difference in the game. Yep. I think, uh, I think this situation right now spells a, another solid week for Austin Hooper, who was the top target for Baker Mayfield in week five. He saw 10 targets, and now if Jarvis Landry isn't there and Odell is maybe not at 100% or, you know, however this really shakes out, um, Austin Hooper seems like a good bet to at least do what he did last week, five for 50-something yards. Um, and then Kareem Hunt, obviously, are going to continue to fire him up as an RB1 if he is healthy, but his ceiling goes up even more, I think, if he is just going to see all this pass volume uh, instead of one of those or both of those wide receivers. Um, all right, another wide receiver duo, Jeff is in seattle obviously we have been monitoring this all season long because their quarterback has demanded it um he has played at a, at a mvp level but dk metcalf and tyler lockett um this was you know a, a situation that in my rankings i had them extremely close and in my blurb about dk metcalf i said that i think he could unseat tyler lockett uh, as early as the season for the wide receiver 1a role now early on in the season that seemed a little blasphemous tyler lockett continued to have stellar rapport 
with Russell Wilson. But now, Jeff, looking at the last four weeks, so weeks two through five in Rock, DK Metcalf is eighth overall. He's officially a Rock star. Uh, That's a top 10 Rock ranking. And Tyler Lockett is 27th. Is it officially happening? I said it was in the contested catch-up. What are your thoughts? Just it's a one A one B. Uh, yeah, I think Metcalf is the probably the one A right now. He's getting um, a lot higher air yard share than Lockett. Lockett's typically still getting the targets, but you know when you're tied to Russell Wilson, like you know you you just need him to throw you the ball and you're going to score. So one A one B, I think is Metcalf right now. You know he's a fumble away from being the overall wide receiver one. Um, but, you know, if you drafted either one, you're pretty happy right now. Yeah, of course, you're referencing when he dropped the ball uh, a, a little or he got he slowed up yes. out as he slowed down looking for that touchdown in week four. I think it was, oh, man, we could have won some money there. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing is he has been uh, quite the red zone target for Russ uh, as of late. And Tyler Lockett, it's not that he's not a red zone target, but I mean, DK Metcalf has five red zone targets and uh that four of those came in week five so um that's of the last four weeks um all right moving on jeff let's go over to philadelphia uh reports are that deshaun jackson has been practicing this week on a limited basis i believe it was um obviously they had a emergence in week five uh not an emergency but an emergence from a second year player who was previously cut by detroit his name's travis fulgham he uh, apparently will continue to start at X going forward. Travis Fulgham had an enormous week five, Jeff. Uh, saw a ton of volume, and I tweeted actually that this is this bodes really well for whenever Jalen Rigor takes over as a wide receiver one in Philadelphia. Obviously, he's still slated to come back later this season, but for the time being, Jeff, how are you handling this situation? Is Travis Fulgham someone you want to uh, bet on continuing to produce going forward. Now, you know, he, in week four, he had two catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown on three targets. And in week five, he had 10 for 152 and a touchdown on 13 targets, and that was against Pittsburgh. So what's your stance on Philadelphia's wide receiver core with Deshaun Jackson potentially coming back? So go over to one of our favorite websites, playerprofiler.com. Type in, type in Travis Fulgham. Look at his best comparable, and you see Michael Gallup. We like that. Oh, we do like that. So, um, you know, I think he is, I mean, not that comparable to everything, but I mean, Michael Gallup is a good player. Um, and I mean, I think if you, I mean, I put in waiver claims for Fulcom this week. And I mean, I mean, at least until Regor is back and, um, you know, he looks like Fulcom looks like the wide receiver one, even if Djax gets limited action, like you can start Fulcom this week. And especially with Ertz not playing well and no Goddard. Um, you know, I think he's startable until you know we see, we see otherwise. Yeah, I think uh, his ascension the last two weeks makes him feel at least like a flex play with upside for more if he continues to see that double-digit volume. So good stuff there. Um, now, DJ Chark did not practice Thursday with an ankle injury. We can keep this one quick. But, Jeff, how are you handling DJ Chark, who has been banged up throughout this season? I'm starting LaVisca Chenault if yeah, I have him. Um, and I don't think Chark plays this week it might be um you know we saw what happened a few weeks ago when he was out it didn't look good against Miami um but Chanel keeps 
seeing more and more volume through the air and he's they're not even like giving him all in those kind of manufactured carries so i mean i think actually they're getting in a better position to be okay without Chark. um chanel could be looking at like a 10 target game which would be great if you picked him up um either off of waivers beginning of the year or um you know like drafted him with one of your late draft picks i mean i think he's definitely fi- uh, like startable as a flex this week Yep, yep, I'm with you. Uh, Chenault's outlook just continues to improve. Obviously, you and I are very excited about that. From a dynasty perspective, from a 2020 perspective, it's all good with LaVisca. Um, Melvin Gordon appeared to appears to be avoiding a suspension uh, as he's back practicing this week for the Broncos. Uh, he had a DUI arrest earlier this week. It appears to not be affecting his outlook for week six. Uh, any additional thoughts on that one, Jeff? Uh, when players have faced similar situations in the past, they NFL seems like they wait until after the legal process concludes to then issue their punishment. So, um, you know, it's a three game minimum suspension if he's um, for this type of incident. Um, but I don't think he's going to actually get that suspension until 2021. So, you know, I think you just kind of hold on tight um, because otherwise you're kind of selling low. And otherwise, if, you know, if he does get hit this year, then I'll probably weather that three game storm, but, or maybe try to trade him after the fact. But like, I think the suspension is going to be factored into his price or a potential suspension will be factored into his price tag right now. And you're selling low. I'd rather hold, hope that the suspension comes in 2021. And if it doesn't, and I'm wrong, then, you know, just deal with it. Okay. Um, last one for me, Jeff, Dalvin cook did not practice on Thursday. Obviously we talked earlier in the week about, um, Alexander Madison and Mike Boone. If cook is not able to go, do you have any additional thoughts on the Minnesota backfield as we approach this weekend? And again, keep in mind that there's still a chance that this game is delayed, giving cook more time to play if he is not ready to go by Sunday, um, or all or outright, uh, postponed considering Atlanta's positive test this week. So what's your thoughts on Minnesota? Uh, same as the were the other day. Um, you know, I think Cook not playing this week might be a little bit better for his long-term outlook. You know, two weeks of rest with the bye next week, and then be healthy for week eight on. Um, Madison is definitely a startable player this week if Dalvin doesn't go. Good stuff there. Um, okay. DFS preview time, Jeff. Let's talk first about your favorite game stacks uh, going into week six. Obviously, a game stack includes players from both sides, both teams in a, in a particular game, and that is a strategy that we think has been proven to work. Uh, there's good research on it, but we've also been employing it all year and had a lot of great success. Um, okay, so Jeff, first game stack that you are looking at this week. Um, I mean, the main one is a little bit chalky, but the Houston-Tennessee game stack um, is pretty easy, especially with the Titans players being priced pretty cheaply. Um, you know, this happens because DraftKings puts out all their prices on Monday, and then there's no adjustments made throughout the week. So anything that happens on Monday night, or in this case, Tuesday night, cannot be factored into the pricing. So, I mean, AJ Brown is priced at $5,600, which is like so incredibly cheap for a stud. Um, and then we know Houston, what their offense is capable of, you know, between Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, you could fire up on either of them. 
So, you know, that's like the really easy game to stack. Again, though, it's chalky, so you have to find some differentiation elsewhere. Then the other matchup is Atlanta, Minnesota. Um, two pretty bad defenses, pretty condensed target shares. I like that more as a secondary game stack because I don't know if I see either quarterback reaching that lead, like weak winning ceiling. Um, but like in terms of the receivers, if there's no Julio, then you have Ridley, you have Hayden Hurst. Um, you know, maybe you can try running it back with Zacchaeus since he kind of flamed out last week. And then on the Minnesota side, Thielen, Jefferson, either of them. Um, and then from there, like, I don't love really any of the game stacks this week. Um, you know, there's, you can, there's some plays you can make like, okay, Detroit, Jacksonville, you could go with Galladay and Robinson or Galladay and Chanel. Um, but I just, there's no like games where I'm just like, okay, this game's going to shoot out. I want exposure to it. It's just more pieces based on matchups. I think there's something we said for the Green Bay Tampa Bay game stack. That's obviously a 435 or 425 game um, highest point total uh, projected on this slate. And with Devonte Adams back healthy, Chris Godwin looking likely to play. Mike Evans obviously has been you know up and down, but scoring touchdowns at least. I think this does have some shootout poten- potential if Tom Brady remembers what down it is. <laughs> um, so I think you could potentially look at something like. Uh, a Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin stack. That's pretty expensive, but uh, at the very least, those are all studs so far in 2020. Um, yeah. No, or maybe, you know, you fade the Godwin return and, and go with Mike Evans there. No, um, I think that's a good point. Also, I think with the season-ending injury to Vita Vea on the defensive line for Tampa Bay makes um, Aaron Jones a more appealing start as well. The Bucks have had one of the top run defenses over the last year and a half. Um, you know, we've mentioned that in the past as well. So um, I feel like that could maybe suppress Aaron Jones's ownership a little bit if people don't quite realize that, you know, Vito Fea is like one of the key components of that run stopping. And, um, you know, there's always the receiving upside for Aaron Jones. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is a good game stack. And I really like Aaron Jones as maybe a way to pivot off of Adam's return. But, um, mm. you know, still also sprinkle some Devontae in there as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and we know that, you know, Aaron Jones typically handles a pretty sizable receiving share as well. Um, Jeff, I had a dream that Robert Tanyan was named a captain and scored another touchdown in week six. <laughs> I'm not joking. Jeff, uh, Kyle and I, uh, we, we talked Wednesday night about uh, about Robert Tanyan as a sell, and I, I don't know why that just came into my head, but uh, I guess because we're talking about the Packers. <laughs> um, anyway, let's build a lineup um, with your favorite stacks first. Mm, all right, so let's start. Tannehill double stack this. All right. Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry, Mike Davis, Adam Thielen, Will Fuller, the fifth, AJ Brown, Trey Burton, Deontay Johnson, Bengals defense. Mm. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I don't know if I like the Bengals defense in there, but I mean, that's basically you're just, I feel you're just firing up a punt play. Um, I feel it's so funny, Jeff. I'm like all of our big hitters for the most part uh, so far this season. I think our weak spot has absolutely been on our defense. And I think it's just, a lot of you know variability there. Uh, although last week uh, in week five, our, our, we had the best defense, which was Baltimore. So we actually paid up in our top lineup 
defense has been a weird one for us so far. Um, okay, so that's that's our top lineup using those game stacks that we yeah, talked about. Yeah, that was um, making and the way it's set up right now is you have to you know build it around the quarterback. So that was picking Tannehill. Let's say we wanted to uh, build it around a Aaron Rodgers, then. Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Mike Davis, Robbie Anderson, A.J. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Cam Brate, David Montgomery, and again, the Bengals defense. Okay. I was actually going to ask you, Jeff. Um, David Montgomery is somewhat, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say a chalky play, but probably going to be a very popular play because he avoided adding Le'Veon Bell to his backfield. Uh, Chicago was a rumored destination for him. Um, and he plays what is perceived to be the best uh, run game matchup of the season so far against Carolina. David Montgomery has received a lot of receiving work. I talked about this in the catch up as well. Um, thoughts on David Montgomery in week six in this kind of scenario where there's a, a known to be good matchup and a player is known to have good volume. Is this a situation that you say, okay, I, I'm willing to pay for it. You know, he's priced at 5,800 or is that a situation you say, I'm going to avoid that to try to get less ownership somewhere else? Um, no, I think he's a fine play. As you mentioned, he's down around, he's 5,800 right now. I'm seeing projected ownership in the 20 to 25% range. So, um, it was, I don't view his upside as being quite as high. I'd probably rather be a little underweight and maybe down like that, you know, around 15%. So for max entering 150 lineups, um, you know, we'll probably have him in about 20 of them well i don't think he's someone that you have to fade 100 percent um also like especially with like it's just so many of the um bell cow running backs are off the slate this week i mean aside from aaron jones and Derek henry like you know kareem hunt like where else are really the established workhorse bell cows then there aren't any really so i mean montgomery's volume is pretty hard to find that, that's very fair. Uh, it's basically the, the best workhorses that we have that are playing in week six on the slate. James Conner, Mike Davis, Miles Sanders. Uh, you could throw James Robinson in there. You could throw um, Kareem Hunt in, the, in there if he's healthy. Um, but yeah, and, and obviously Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's actually priced pretty reasonably, 6200 in this slate. I think he's a pretty interesting play. And then another running back I like is priced at 5000 even uh that's damian harris now keep in mind we have been talking about damian harris he looked really good right before their bye week um in week four uh 17 carries 100 yards and no receiving work but we expect that to come at least a little bit uh well anyways cam newton is back this week and we know that this running game only gets better with a, a dual threat option like cam newton back there so i like damian harris he's facing you know if, if you're looking at defensive matchups on dk the matchup that Harris has is Denver. That's quote unquote second worst matchup based on uh, DraftKings metrics. However, we know that that's not very predictable. So I think that Harris is actually a sneaky low ownership play who should see 15 to 20 touches. Um, Jeff, any favorite wide receiver plays for you this week? Tim Patrick for Denver, especially is like if I want to play Cam and some piece of New England offense. Um, He's really cheap. He was the snap leader, target leader for Denver. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he doesn't have the name brand to really command much ownership. That I feel like he's kind of like a low ownership play. I don't know. I mean, and then otherwise, we've just really touched on a bunch of the guys we like. 
if the Cincinnati Indianapolis game does uh, get played on Sunday, I do like T Higgins as well. He's down at 4,700. AJ Green is banged up again. This could thrust Higgins into the, um, you know, like one, a one B role with Boyd in the slot Higgins on the outside. Um, You know, I just don't love the offensive matchup for Cincinnati, but um, I mean, at 4,700 Higgins has like pretty decent upside and helps you plug in some other higher ceiling, um, more expensive players. Yeah, I think a guy that's uh, of the similar uh, type there is Nikhil Harry. Um, shout out to Kyle, who had Nikhil Harry as a buy this week on the Week 6 Buys and Sell show that we did. Um, so Nikhil Harry you know, has a pretty decent matchup with Denver. I also think this is a game that you want some shares of. Um, you know, We could we already talked about Tim Patrick. Um, and then another guy that just worth saying, uh, or two guys worth saying, trust talent here, trust that the volume is there. Marquise Brown and... Terry McLaurin. Yes, we're rolling with Terry. At least I am, despite the quarterback situation being a little tumultuous back there. Terry's just too good, and he's seeing ridiculous volume. He is a rock star. He's in the top 10. Um, So I like him in week six as well. Um, Jeff, let us now move on to our best bets part of the show. Um, I think this was a really good DFS preview, and let's just finish up uh, our weekly preview here, looking at the best bets for this weekend. Um, for me, I'll start. I like Pittsburgh money line minus 200 versus Cleveland. Um, I think that it's, it's a it's a minus three and a half line. I typically don't like to play that game where you could win by field goal because it's just just a little dicey. If it was like four and a half, five, like maybe I'll take it. To be honest, I know that's a little weird, but um, I, I would I would rather drop down to the money line there and get the minus 200. Um, I like Jacksonville plus three and a half versus Detroit. And another three and a half point dog is Houston versus Tennessee. Uh, I just think that these games are both going to be pretty close and I'm willing to ride with the dog um, in both scenarios because they get the points there. Uh, I also think Houston in particular is being slept on as, you know, now kind of with new fuel, new fire uh, under their bellies um, without Bill O'Brien back there. Jeff, any other bets that you like or any issues with those ones? I like the football team at plus two and a half against the New York football giants. Um, I think it's a huge mismatch in the trenches and um, at least for the uh, Washington's defense against the um, the giants offensive line. Daniel Jones has just not been good this year. And I really feel like they're just going to like kind of just obliterate him and that offensive line. The giants will have trouble getting much going on offense. Um, then the football team will, you know, do enough to, you know, cover, if not just win the game outright. Yep. I like that one as well. Um, okay. Good stuff. We did really well with best bets last week, Jeff. I was very happy with that. Uh, I was very happy with that. Unfortunately, I parlayed a lot of my best bets with Kansas city money line, <laughs> which felt, felt like a great bet. Obviously they, they lost to the Raiders um, in terms of a bill's, prediction this week jeff we've already talked a little bit about the monday afternoon game obviously monday at 5 p.m is where our thursday night matchup got moved to bills chiefs uh both teams went into week five four and oh both teams came out four and one i think the chiefs definitely look like the better team in week five uh however we know the bills are able to contend with anyone i think the real question though is where is this defense gone uh will we get trey white back it, uh, there's a lot there on the defensive side of the ball that worries me, and I'm just not sure 
that this new look Bills offense is going to be able to keep up with how good we know the Chiefs offense is. So um, if I'm going to pick, I'm fortunately going to pick against the Bills and go with the Chiefs there. They're about five point favorites. Um, I I like the Bills. Obviously, you know they're they're my team, but I, I like the Bills to at least make this a good game, uh, despite the disappointment of Week Five against Tennessee. But however, I just don't think it's smart money necessarily to put it on the Bills in this matchup. Um, I also do like the over. It's fifty seven and a half as the point total, and I do like the over on that. I think this turns into a shootout. I think Josh Allen has a really strong bounce back game. Uh, I just don't think the Bills do quite enough. To pull this one out. Jeff, any uh, issues with that or any additional thoughts on the Bills-Chiefs matchup on Monday? Um, not really. I mean, it's pretty clear that I think we're um, hurting with the injuries. No Trey is a big loss if he can't go, especially against that offense. Um, Milano, we kind of need him back. Schmade Edmonds has been fighting through an injury. Um, it's just, you know, defense is banged up and, you know, we're kind of seeing what happens, you know, the Bills have been pretty healthy the last couple of years on that side of the ball. And we're just seeing what happens when you have a couple of key injuries and some bad defensive regression on offense. Um, I, don't know, I mean, that was just flat last week. I don't think having, you know, missing John Brown really sucked. Um, hopefully he's back as well. And that should help, you know, give us at least the spark on offense to keep up since they don't really see us stopping them. And I uh, don't know. We'll see. I, I hope they uh they try to feed Edwards Hilaire too much before he you know gets into that timeshare. That's <laughs> our best our best chance of like uh, you know the Chiefs being slowed down is for them to do it to themselves. Yep, that's very fair. Uh, for fantasy, we'd take it, but uh, yeah, that's that's obviously the the best thing that the Chiefs could do for the Bills is to try to ca- capitalize on the Bills' perceived weakness on defense um, with against the run. Good stuff, Jeff. I think this was a good weekend preview for week six. Um, Don't forget, guys, to use our DFS optimizer tool this weekend. We have had five weeks of great plays. Um, Week five was unfortunately a little bit of a dud just because of the DAC injury and some of the other things, but we still had a 99.99% finisher in a massive tournament. So uh, still, guys, make sure to check out that tool. I think it's been really good so far. And also, you know, we've heard, we've mentioned The Rock a good bit on here. If you don't know what The Rock is, go to contessacatch.com forward slash ROC. You can use The Rock tool and it's an opportunity metric. And you can also learn more about what it is and how to use it. Um, with that said, Jeff, any final thoughts here as we officially enter week six? Let's have a profitable weekend. Let us do it, man. All right, great stuff. Um, We hope you guys have a great week ahead. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Good luck, and we will catch you next time.